Welcome to Worldview from WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're at the Morton Arboretum this week. It's been great. This is our final day at the Morton Arboretum out under the chinkapin oak, which I have become friendly with. And um, my tan is better than it's been in the previous 20 years of broadcasting experience that I've had. And the Meadow Lake looks terrific again today. Nice and still. The wind is a little less today. The fluffy white clouds are out there. It's fantastic. And we're going to talk some about trees and the benefits that they can have for everyone all over the globe. There was a recent paper on the benefits of trees for livable and sustainable communities. Trees can help cities achieve 15 of the 17 UN development goals. And with me is Dr. Nicole Cavender, Vice President of Science and Conservation here at the Morton Arboretum. Thank you for having us this week, Nicole. Oh, thank you for being here. I'm so glad the weather is so great today. And Dr. Jessica turner Scoff is here, treeologist at the Morton Arboretum. They co-authored this paper. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much. We're really excited to be here. How did you stumble on this topic? Why did you think, I'm going to measure the UN Sustainable Development Goals against what I know about trees? Nicole? That's a great question, Jerome, because we did think about this and said we were noticing a lot of papers coming out that's showing the benefits of trees, but there's not a paper that's really bringing it together, showing all of the benefits together. And because the Morton Arboretum is so committed to helping build awareness and helping build action around improving how trees are grown and managed in cities and in our landscapes, we thought that we needed to pull it together and really provide good evidence so that everybody had this information and it would empower people to do something. How did you feel about this when the project was brought to you, Jessica? Now more than ever, there are a ton of different challenges that society's facing, and we tend to overlook what could be one of the easiest solutions for these challenges, and that's planting and protecting trees, and especially in our cities, because our cities are just becoming more and more populated. I think it's predicted by 2050, 70% of the world's populations will be in cities. Well, how did you um, start with the UN Development Goals? Most of us don't know what they all are. If we were forced to name them, we would not be able to name them all. But how did you begin the project? One of the things I always try to do is build on other people's work. And so when Jessica and I were discussing this, we knew about the UN Sustainability Goals, and we brainstormed through it and said, well, why don't we work from other people's work? So that framework is already done. How about we incorporate all the evidence we're seeing in the literature into those goals so that there's already a framework there for us to work within. Tick off a goal for me and tell me how trees are, are doing it. One of the goals is good health and well-being. And trees can do a tremendous amount. Trees and green space can do a tremendous amount um, to make you healthier and happier. I mean, there's been um, studies done back, you know, even in the uh, early 80s by Ulrich, which talked about a view of trees from your hospital room means you'll have a shorter stay and you'll heal faster and better. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's everything from, you know, reducing your blood pressure if you're out in nature or if you're forest bathing. Which we're going to do in a few minutes. (laughs) Um, It's absolutely amazing, all of the evidence. I mean, this paper, we cite over 170 sources that illustrate all of the different ways that trees and green space can help make your life better. Uh, How many people in city planning have you heard from that appreciate what's going on with this paper? The the people who are... uh, trying to reforest our cities. 
The planners are one of our target audiences, so we would really like to reinforce. I mean, there are many cities who are trying to improve their green spaces and their tree planning, and we would just like to give them more evidence to be able to enforce that. Um, Certainly in the Chicago region, this is a big um, commitment from the Arboretum and many of our partners through the Chicago Region Trees Initiative. We are trying to work with communities and give them resources and help them however we can to bring that priority up in their planning. And that really means that they have to dedicate more resources on the bottom line to be able to bring about these changes that will make our city better. Why do you think people are reluctant to make this kind of commitment? It seems like any kind of reforestation is always far down the list. There is a term called plant blindness. I would like to switch that from plant blindness to, well, let's help people love plants in green spaces more rather than just say the negative. But I think people think it's an added extra. And the case we're trying to make is that it actually is part of the solution and that it is not just an extra nice to have, but is actually something that we need. Human beings need green. We need trees. We need biodiversity. It's part of our system and it makes our world better. It makes us healthier. Um, It makes our communities better. So this is a need that we have. And there's even studies that show that, you know, a view of trees from your um, where you live can reduce violence and aggression in households, sometimes even by 25 percent. So that type of impact can trickle through all layers of society. Jessica, tell me another development goal and and, uh, (laughs) and, and how, how trees help. Well, there are several goals that I think kind of tie together nicely, such as life on land and life on water. Trees are really important cornerstones of ecosystems. Um, Actually, they clean the air. They provide habitat for animals. They can actually clean the soil in a lot of places. There's a term called phytoremediation, and trees can suck up uh, negative uh, toxins and stuff from the environment and store it in the wood. I was recently in Flint, in Flint, Michigan, Mm, and they mm -hmm. were recovering. It was a brown zone where they were recovering a plant that had been there and it was a gigantic Ford motor plant and they were using plants to suck the stuff Mm -hmm. up, to suck the bad stuff out of the ground. Yeah, it's just amazing if we can incorporate nature into our urban centers, how much healthier and happier not only we'll be, but the entire ecosystem and all of the animals and plants that rely on them. Nicole? One of the things that we found during our research of this paper was that particulate matter is really bad for people's health, so it causes mortality. And trees have an ability to help reduce particulate matter and therefore actually potentially saves lives, right? So having trees and green spaces, their effect on phytoremediation, which you were referring to, they can all improve that environment. So, you know, they play an important role. There's another really cool study. I'm sorry, I just can't help myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a study by Donovan who they tracked mortality rates with the emerald ash borer. You can actually see large-scale oh. changes with, you know, when you have these cities that have primarily only one tree and then all the trees die, you can actually track death rates associated with that. So trees, they do an amazing job. We need to all go out and hug trees and thank them because they clean our air every single day and make our lives healthier and happier. 
That's an amazing study because that is a moment of dramatic tree loss. And when I was reading the figures about our tree population after the Emerald Ash mm-hmm. Borer, and it was dramatic. And mm-hmm. we were ticking up on the trees and getting a larger canopy, and then wham, it went way down. And so people died. <laughs> yeah. That's the bad part. <laughs> Health is affected by reduction in trees. Um, the other thing, especially you know, as we're experiencing a heating, a general heating of our climate, it's happening here, it's happening in many parts of the world, we're finding, and there's more and more evidence suggesting, and we have some evidence in this paper as well, showing that trees play an extremely critical role in cooling cities in the summer. And this also can save people's lives. I mean, think about how hot it gets. And when you're under a tree, it's way better than when you're in the sun. It's uh, common sense, but at the same time, it's really needed. And many people need trees to cool them off in the summer. How many health care providers do you think are aware and moving on this idea? I think it needs a lot more traction. One of the things we're doing at the Morton Arboretum and in association with the Chicago Region Trees Initiative is trying to understand and correlate that data where we have the most health concerns in our population and what their tree cover is like. And it helps us look at where those priority areas are in Chicago, where there are people who have health issues. You can find out some of this information from not only the tree census, but also the Demographic the census. demographic census that's going to happen next year as well. You can tie some of that data together, and it helps us target where we think we need to be putting our stewardship efforts um, because health concern is something that should be tied with tree cover. You're listening to Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're talking about the benefits of trees for livable and sustainable communities. Trees can help cities achieve 15 of the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, what were the two that you couldn't achieve? Well, the two, and, you know, we wanted this paper to be rigorous and accurate, so we were not trying to uh, <laughs> pull it one way or another, but gender equality is one that um, trees will not be able to help with that, and also partnership for the goals. It's getting everybody together oh. to <laughs> accomplish the goals. Well, if they could come under a tree and accomplish the goals well, or something. <laughs> if they do, trees do improve uh, community ties and social cohesion. So, yes, they could. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could Maybe we yeah. next down to 16 out of yeah. 17. Next paper. Uh, what's been the reaction of the paper? Have you gotten uh, people talking about it? Well, it's just come out, so it's brand new, and uh, we haven't heard a whole lot yet. We're hoping that this will help spread the word that trees are really important to communities and to cities, and we hope that other people can use this to make a case. You know, there are a lot of problems in the world, and there are a lot of things that we need to address, and we're trying to make a case that this is part of the solution to many of the problems that we face. It's not the only solution, but it's one and in part of the solution. And it's also probably where you get the most return on investment for the benefits that you get. So we would like people to use this as a way to make a case to invest more in trees. You know, even when it comes to something like climate change and they have the investment fund for the climate accords and people are, you know, the rich countries are reluctant to put money into it for things like reforestation. It's something people think it's an extra. Yeah, and then, you know, as Nicole mentioned earlier, oftentimes trees are considered a nice to have, not a necessity. And so we hope with this paper, we can really shed light on that. Trees are a necessity. Green space is a necessity. People need nature and if they have it, they're going to live better lives. 
What's the first step for a community to start addressing this kind of thing? If they want to get involved and really put their best foot forward, what should they do? I'm glad you asked that question, Jerome, because the first thing that communities should do is, first of all, figure out what they have, right? So what does our forest look like? And we can help with that. The Chicago Region Trees Initiative can give you data, can give all the communities data on what they have, and we can help them develop a plan that works for their goals. So some communities might have a goal of reducing pollution. Some communities might have a goal of reducing crime. Some communities might have a goal of improving property value, whatever it might be. And trees can help with that. So putting a plan together over time is the first step. Um, And a, a good example of a community that we're working with, with the Chicago Region Trees Initiative, is Dalton. And they are working towards putting Uh, a plan together to improve their air quality because they have a lot of transportation. Very interesting. Well, congratulations on the paper. Thank you. It's, uh, I loved writing it. It was a lot of fun reading all about trees. For people who want to get more information, where do they do it? They can go online. It is in the journal Plants, People, Planet, and uh, we also have it on our social media accounts. Thanks very much, uh, Dr. Jessica Turner-Scoff, triologist here at the Morton Arboretum, and Dr. Nicole Cavender, Vice President of Science and Conservation at the Morton Arboretum. Nicole's going to join us a little later on and talk about the Gateway to Tree Science, a new exhibit here at the Morton Arboretum. Thanks very much. Thank you. Coming up after the break, we'll take you forest bathing with a certified forest bathing instructor. Stay tuned. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview from the Morton Arboretum on WBEZ. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're at the Morton Arboretum this week. We've been having a great time. And now, finally, we are going to do some forest bathing. You've probably heard a lot about it, the Japanese tradition. And we're going to do some right now. We've got the instructor for forest bathing here at the Morton Arboretum with us. And it's great to meet you. Introduce yourself to people. Well, hello. Uh, My name is Brenda Spitzer, and I'm a certified forest therapy guide. I attended my training workshop right here at the Arboretum in 2015, and I've been guiding walks here ever since. Well, tell us a little bit about the history of forest bathing. Well, certainly. You know, for thousands of years, we humans spent most of our time outdoors immersed in nature. But with the coming of the Industrial Revolution, which brought us factory production and technology, we were pulled indoors for much of the day, and we lost some of our nature connection. But it's possible to get that back. And as Richard Louv states in his book, The Nature Principle, the more connected to technology we become, the more nature we need to achieve a balance in our lives. Oh, that's great. I like that. And the Japanese uh, have been doing this for a long time. They have this tradition. Yes. Uh, Back in the early 80s, there was quite an epidemic of stress in Japan. And so the government devised some forest therapy trails through the forests of Japan and encouraged their residents to get out on the trails and walk and see if their stress was lowered. And they found that indeed it was lower. 
And so they also did some experiments then to find out why does that happen. And they discovered that trees, especially conifers, emit a compound into the atmosphere known as a phytoncide. And when you're in the presence of phytoncides, your stress level just naturally goes down. And that results in benefits of lower cortisol levels, lower heart rates, lower blood pressures. It even boosts immunities. And also being in the forest, they found, uh, helps us psychologically. It leaves us calm and focused and more creative. Is there a lot more to it than just getting out there and being with the trees? Well, there is. I think the important part of a forest therapy walk is that we encourage our participants to just slow down and connect with their senses to notice the natural environment. It's not about getting a lot of miles or steps. Uh, it's not about learning naturalist facts. We have other walks for that, and those are important as well. But on a forest bathing walk, we want you to simply relax and just be in the moment. That sounds great. What's the first thing we do? Well, the first thing that we are going to do is an invitation that I call Pleasure of Presence. And we're going to get in touch with our senses. Would you like to do that now? Yes. Excellent. We'll begin. Let us all just stand with our feet a little bit apart. And just start by looking around at this place where we are right now and all the beings that are joining us here today. Take some deep breaths and close your eyes for the rest of this invitation as much as you can. It's always all right to open them for balance whenever you need to. But I would like you to start by just shifting your weight back and forth a little bit and feel the good support of the earth below us and take some deep breaths and notice what it's like to be right here in this place at this moment. have tree roots extending from the soles of your feet down into the earth and they're just anchoring you there and supporting you and even stretch your arms up a little bit and imagine your arms are branches and just stretch and take a deep breath and we're going to begin with the sense of touch now first I want you to notice the areas where your skin is exposed to the air could be your arms or your neck or your face and just kind of move your hands through the air a bit see if you could detect a texture to the air today maybe you notice a gentle breeze blowing by and now also notice the areas where you have clothing some areas are very soft and some areas like the soles of your shoes are hard and supportive so within the sense of touch, identify what's giving you the most pleasure right now and invite that pleasure in. Take some deep breaths and just notice the sense of touch. And next, turning our attention to the sense of hearing. I wonder what sounds you can notice that are the furthest away 
They may be a man-made sound. It might be a natural sound. But see how far away you can hear. And now we'll notice sounds that are a bit closer. Let's say a 50-foot radius around our circle. I wonder if any of these sounds have a pattern to them or a rhythm. Maybe they blend together like chords of a symphony. And now I would like you to take some deep breaths, just deep enough and loud enough so that you can hear your breath. Notice what it's like to be part of the symphony of sound that's all around us. And within our sense of hearing, notice what's giving you the most pleasure right now and invite that pleasure in. Now turning to the sense of smell, I wonder what fragrances you're noticing. Perhaps there's a fragrance blowing by on the breeze. And even tilt your head up toward the sky. See if you could smell the sunshine. Take deep breaths tilt your head down toward the ground. I wonder if the fragrances are different when you do this. Continue to take deep breaths and within the sense of smell, identify what's giving you pleasure right now and invite that pleasure in. And noticing the sense of taste, try breathing through your nose and mouth at the same time almost as though you're sucking air in through a straw. See if you can detect a taste to the air. And again, try this when you tilt your head up and tilt your head down. And within the sense of taste, identify what's giving you pleasure and invite it in. And now we're gonna explore a directional sense a bit. I want you to start, open your eyes a bit, and turn to the east where the sun rises. And when you get to the east, just stop. Close your eyes and notice the presence of the east and what it's bringing us. Perhaps a sound or a breeze or a fragrance. Now turn one quarter turn to the right so that you're facing the south. And just notice what the south is offering us. And another quarter turn to the right, you'll be facing west. And just welcome the presence of the west. I wonder if you're noticing anything different about the west that you didn't notice about the south or the east. And one more quarter turn to the right, we'll be facing north. And just welcome the presence of the North and all that it's bringing us today. And now for this next part, what I want everybody to do is just turn slowly, either direction. But I want you to turn until your body comes to a point where it just says, yes, stop. And when you get to that point, stop right there. And it's okay always to open your eyes for balance whenever you need to. But start to turn in a circle. And when you reach the point where your body says stop, just stop there. Keep your eyes closed and don't open them until I tell you to. But I want you all to imagine that you fell asleep here in the forest last night. And a spider came by 
and the spider wove your eyelashes together with spider webs. So when I do tell you to open your eyes, I want you to do so very slowly as though you're pulling those spider webs apart. And then you'll let nature come in to meet you. So ready? Slowly open your eyes. Very slowly. Let nature come in to greet you. And just notice all those beautiful colors and textures and lines. And maybe you're noticing a movement. Maybe there's a particular fragrance coming from your direction or a sound. So just take it all in. And offer some gratitude to the direction you're facing in whatever way feels right to you. And then turn back into the circle. Now for our next invitation, we are going to move slowly and notice motion. But first I want you to recognize that in our fast-paced society, we're always moving quickly, we're multitasking. And sometimes the very act of moving slowly can be stressful. So if upon moving slowly you're finding any feelings of stress, what I want you to do is think of moving at the pace of nature and at the pace of the forest around us. And do feel free to use all your senses to notice motion, not just the sense of sight. Use a sense of touch, hearing, as well as the sense of sight. If you would like to, along the way, kneel down or sit, that's fine too. So as your guide, I'll set the pace so everybody stay behind me. You don't have to stay in a line. Feel free to meander around. And we will now move slowly and notice motion. doing some forest bathing at the Morton Arboretum with Barbara Spitzer, and she's a certified forest bather. It's kind of like a guided meditation in nature. And now we're being called to tea, and we're going to have tea out here in the forest. This is a class that's uh, offered at the Morton Arboretum. Forest bathing started in Japan. now going to have some Shinji Nyoku tea. This is tea made from the environment that we just walked through. So I have foraged today some suitable herbs from the environment that are tea friendly and I'll be making some tea so that now that we've walked through the environment we could take some of it inside of us. In our tea today, I'm putting some peppermint, which is good for digestion, and it's also can help relieve stress 
and also some wild bergamot. Wild bergamot is a member of the mint family as well. And it also has the benefits of relieving stress. I also am going to be using some red clover. Now red clover is high in protein and it adds a natural sweetness to the tea. Now I will be adding these herbs right to the pot. I also have included some lemon thyme, which comes from the herb garden at the Morton Arboretum, and some grape tendrils, grapevine tendrils. So we're just adding the entire herb right to the pot. And I'm going to add some hot water in which I have uh, steeped a little bit of tea ahead of time. And while the tea is brewing, I do want to mention uh, that the forest therapy movement began in the United States in 2012 when Amos Clifford established the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy Guides and Programs. And his goal at the time was to certify a global network of forest therapy guides. And indeed, to date, he has certified over 600 guides in 40 countries across the world, over six continents. Uh, so I did want to mention that. And also tell you that if you're interested in an upcoming walk, we have uh, some three-hour forest therapy walks coming up on August 5th and 17th. We do offer walks throughout the entire year in every season. We also have a shorter format walk available, one hour, 45 minutes. And on August 28th, Amos Clifford will be here at the Morton Arboretum uh, with Rosita Arvigo, who is a fellow forest therapy guide and herbalist. So now I'm going to pour some tea. Pouring an extra cup for the earth. Now I would like to hand out the tea, but I ask that we take the first sip together. So if you could just start by enjoying the fragrance. Thank you for being here today. And thank you for joining us. Now the first thing we're going to do before we take a sip, I like to always offer some tea to the earth. So as I do this, just think of ways you're thankful to the earth for all that it gives us. So I'm going to pour it gently into the earth. I always also like to thank Joy Morton for having the vision to set aside this beautiful land for us to enjoy so many generations later. And it will be here for many generations to come. So let's take our tea, enjoy the fragrance, and ready? Try it. It's a good time to share any insights you may have or anything you would like to say to make your experience complete today. The tea really does taste like the experience. Excellent. That's good. That's because, you know, you've been walking through this environment and noticing the fragrances and now you're noticing the taste. So we not only experience porous therapy without, but when we have our tea, we get to experience it within. 
concludes our forest therapy walk. I thank you all so much for joining me. It's been an honor to guide you all today. Thank you. You're welcome. If anybody wants more tea, we have plenty. Coming up after the break, we're going to go to the gateway to tree science and find out about how to care for our trees. I'm Jerome McDonald, and you're listening to Worldview from the Morton Arboretum. This is Worldview on WBEZ. I'm Jerome McDonald. We're out at the Morton Arboretum for day three. We've been having a great time under our chinkapin oak at the Morton Arboretum. And one of the things I noticed when I was out here walking around was a new exhibit going up. There was a kind of a wooden covered area and all these displays coming up. And uh, now it's finished and it's called the Gateway to Tree Science. And it's a pretty interesting thing where you can find out a whole lot about trees. And we're going to talk about it now with Dr. Nicole Cavender, Vice President of Science and Conservation at the Morton Arboretum, and Julie Janowski. She is the clinic manager at the Morton Arboretum. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Jerome. I just wanted to say how happy I am that you guys cover such interesting and important issues like our environment. Because... The environment's really important to people, so I'm really glad you covered them. You're welcome. We're very happy to cover them. It's part of our world, and we are going to keep our world strong and healthy if we keep our environment healthy. That's right. This project has been a long time in coming, Nicole. Can you talk about from genesis to execution what you're doing here? The Gateway to Tree Science is a new exhibit demonstrating some of the scientific knowledge that we have been harboring here at the Arboretum for decades. This came about many years ago, right before our campaign, our Growing Brilliantly campaign that we launched several years ago and is now completed. Many people come to Morton Arboretum, but they don't realize that we do science, and we definitely do science here at the Arboretum. People think it's a tree museum. It is a tree museum. And it is. I mean, they're kind of remote from science sometimes. You just look at things at a museum. And here we dedicated a lot of resources and time and energy to understanding the underlying mysteries of trees and we continue to do so and we want to do that so that we can harness that knowledge and apply it so that our world is actually better because trees make our world a better place and so we want to be able to understand them better so that we can relay them to the public and the gateway to tree science helps us do that it originated with the scientists thinking through well how do we explain what we do and what kind of information can we impart And then we develop these living exhibits. So they have many, many trees that are designed in such a way to teach people about different aspects, either of selecting trees, of how you better grow them, care for them, as well as when you're in an urban environment, what kinds of things can you do to improve their growth. Many different aspects of tree science are there, and the interpretation of them is laid out in such a way that 
I guarantee anybody who comes here and goes through this exhibit will learn something. You took me out there yesterday afternoon, and you're doing the exhibits with living trees. You've got a bunch of mock sidewalk type of things and different soils underneath the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. and trees are planted there, and you can see how the trees are doing under different soil conditions that are city-like. Right. You can look at, well, what's the right way of pruning? What's the wrong way of pruning? And over time, those trees will exhibit those flaws. So we want to show kind of bad trees as well so that people can say, oh, if I don't do it right after 15 years, this is what happens. We have an exhibit of power lines, how you think about growing trees under power lines. And I know that uh, Julie can explain that very well because Julie is, uh, oversees the plant clinic. And that plant clinic is really important to the Morton Arboretum because it allows us to impart some of the knowledge that we have that we want everybody to know. And you can come here to the Arboretum and say, I have a question, and they can give you answers. So, Julie, would you like to explain some of one of your favorite exhibits there? Well, I mean, I can go back to the Powerline exhibit as yeah. a nice one where the idea of planting for the mature size of a tree Um, And under a power line, we have a hackberry out there that's 50 feet tall, and it's in the power lines, which is a safety problem. But we also have other trees that have been selected for their mature height um, to be less than 25 feet, which is what you need to be when you're under a power line. Um, And it will never create the safety hazard that a large tree would. Uh, And people don't realize how big some of the trees they're planting will get. Who's to blame for that? I mean, it seems like a lot of municipalities, there's like on municipal land, somebody has planted a great big tree on a parkway that the city is in charge of. They planted a great big tree under a power line. The cities are getting better about it. There are now tree lists for most of the municipalities about what you can plant where in a boulevard or under a power line. Um, I don't disagree with you, but I think the situation is improving a bit. And we hope that this exhibit will also help improve that because we are targeting this to... Um, not only homeowners, and green, but also green professionals, people who manage trees in cities, um, people who care for trees professionally. One of the parts of the exhibit that was really fascinating was the oak tree, I don't know what to call it, geneolo- tree of life. genealogy sundial. It's, <laughs> it's like a great big uh, sundial that has the genealogy of all oak trees, and it's right before the oak exhibition. It kind of falls out uh, into the oak exhibition. <laughs> that that's kind of an amazing thing, Nicole. Where did that come from? It's not about pruning or anything, but it's really sciency. Well, one of the excellent science areas that we work on here is evolution and phylogeny. Dr. Andrew Hip leads that program, and he also oversees our herbarium. And he and colleagues from around the world have been working out how the different oak species, the 450 different species of oaks in the world, how they're related. Um, this is a very tricky group to understand. They've had a lot of sharing of genes over the many millions of years that they've evolved, and we have now figured it out. And so what that is is an example of, it's like a sundial, as you say, and you can sit in the middle of it, go back 50 three, 56 million years, and start looking at those lineages of different oaks. And it's right at the edge of our oak collection, and it gives you an idea of how these different clades are related, and it also gives you an indication of, well, where are they from, where did they move from, what is their status, their UN status in terms of a threat assessment. And it is a representative of how phylogeny works. So it's the oak tree of life, and it comes to life at the Gateway to Tree Science. 
And you've got some tiles at the end there that signify different things mm-hmm. about their current status, whether they're endangered, mm-hmm. uh, where you know things like that. You can find out on the tiles there at the sundial. Right. <laughs> so you could spend a lot of time really engrossing yourself in the evolution of oaks if you want to, and we try to bring it to life there. And I think the idea is is that if you don't understand a species, that you can't protect and save them. So the whole idea of doing the research to get this down to that level of detail is to protect these trees. We're talking about the Gateway to Tree Science with Julie Janoski. She is the plant clinic manager at the Morton Arboretum and Dr. Nicole Cavender, vice president of science and conservation at the Morton Arboretum. There's a lot of terminology that people might be a little shaky on that you try to clear up. Um, what is a cultivar? Things of that nature are addressed. I know, and I honestly still get confused. I mean, I'm a, I'm a plant professional, and I still get confused. What's a cultivar? When do you trademark? You know, when do you hybridize? And what's a hybrid versus a cultivar? And we try to clear that up. And the reason is because we want people to be educated when they go and select trees. And one of the reasons why, so they go to a nursery, and they're looking for a tree in their yard. And we want them to understand that a cultivar is something that is a consistent characteristic. So if it's a cultivar, they can count on it being a dwarf, or they can count on it being a columnar, or they can count on it being resistant because it is a cultivar that is selected for those qualities. Um, well, how does the plant clinic explain all these things? And what kind of questions do you get at the plant clinic regarding this? What we get at the plant clinic is people looking for specific cultivars that meet their specific needs. So when you were talking about something that was columnar or something that would fit in a small space, um, I think one of the good examples out there is uh, we have several cultivars of crab apples. And the breeding in the last... 20 years on crab apples has been quite extensive and the real focus has been on disease resistance so the newer cultivars of crab apples the specific names um, that meet the needs of these people who don't want to have to treat their crab apple trees so they don't defoliate in July from apple scab um, and that is another nice part of the exhibit as it gives you some ideas of why you would select a particular cultivar instead of just going with any crab apple tree that happens to be on the lot. And and ultimately the big message there is we want people to select the right tree for the right place. We can help you because we want mature trees growing in our neighborhoods and in our communities and the world because it's the mature trees that are going to give us the most benefits. And if you don't have the right tree in the right place, they're not going to get mature. And that's what we're aiming for. It's not just getting the tree in the ground. It's getting them to live a long life. When we were walking around the gateway to tree science yesterday, I said, well, boy, my favorite tree is a sycamore. I love them. They're massively gigantic, and they require a certain amount of open space, and they're a little disease-prone. You've got some diseased ones out there to demonstrate uh, some of the kind of issues that go on. Do you like the London plane tree or the sycamore? I like the sycamore. The sycamore. So the sycamore with kind of the white mottled bark and the big stature. So the sycamore, you know, it is a native species. It likes it wet. It needs a lot of space. You'll see them a lot along rivers, river corridors, growing often naturally. And they are beautiful, but they are prone to some diseases like anthracnose. Earlier this year, maybe our listeners had noticed that our sycamores had a hard time thriving early on. And that was due to anthracnose. The weather conditions were just right for anthracnose. 
Yes, they were. And uh, it really held them back. But with the heat coming on, they're looking a lot better now. Lantherachnos infects the sycamores early in the season and can cause them to not leaf out properly. The London plane tree, as an example of something that looks similar to a sycamore, has a resistance to anthracnose. So that's another example of choosing the right tree that will thrive in your area. What are the most popular tree questions at the clinic? Uh, We spend a lot of time identifying things for people. I've just moved in. I have no idea what this tree is. is. (laughs) We spend a lot of time on tree care, how to water properly, how to mulch trees properly, um, how not to slice their roots up so as to impact their health. And then we also spend a lot of time on There's a great thing. It's got one of those turned upside down trees at the Gateway to Tree Science. So you can see how low the root systems usually are. Well, most root systems are in the top 12 to 24 inches of soil, and I don't think people understand that. Uh, A lot of people think that they're under the tree canopy and go straight down. Uh, We have a picture in the plant clinic that shows a tree with its canopy and then the root system spreading about three times the width of the canopy, which, if unimpeded, a healthy tree will do. Now, I know one of the things you're trying to do here with the Gateway to Tree Science is kind of get young people to think about science. And yeah, I am interested in this. There is something for me to pursue. That's exactly right. The Center for Tree Science, one of our goals is to help bring about interest and help spread science in tree science and stem fields. So we have a, a research experience for undergraduate program here. It's going on right now. And we're trying to inspire students to think about tree science in their career track. And so this is one of our objectives. We also have some other resources that go along with it, including the Career Chronicles, which is offered online, where students middle-aged to high school can go online and look at these Career Chronicles and see themselves. So it's like a little game they can play, and they can look at these different stories that are told by different types of tree scientists. They're very diverse, and uh, maybe they're... maybe. Maybe they're interested in thinking about tree science as a career. And we also have a great podcast that is called Planted Podcast. Uh, All these different individuals who have chosen careers in tree science and horticulture. um, And they go through and they interview them on these podcasts. And um, they're really cool podcasts if you have a chance to listen to them. How did you get started, Julie? Um, I started as a banker. Um, that's the traditional way to get to tree science. That's absolutely the traditional way to get to tree science. Um, and then about 15, 20 years ago, decided that horticulture looked like a much more interesting pursuit. Went back and got my horticulture degree. And I was actually in the design industry for a while and now have moved to the plant clinic at the Arboretum. Sounds like fun. What about you, Nicole? I started out um, barefoot talking to the plants and the insects because I was really <laughs> bored as a kid. And so I spent all my time outside and I didn't even realize that I had a talent for plants until later in life. My father was very instrumental in getting me out in nature. And then I realized in college that I actually knew a lot about plants and that maybe I should think about it as a career. <laughs> and so I did. And I never stopped. And I love it. And I think it's fantastic. Well, I hope a lot of people think about getting closer to nature and getting closer to plants. You don't have to have a career, but there are careers out there for people. That's right. 
Well, I hope uh, a lot of people get out to see the Gateway to Tree Science. Describe where it is in the place, because it's a big place, and people might not be able to find it. Yeah, people, when they come to the Visitor Center, they're welcome to ask. We know about it. We can help you get there. It's over on the east side. It's about a half-mile loop. There's a lot of different demonstrations. It might be something that you want to come once and explore, or it might be something that you want to come several times and take a little bit at a time. We also uh, welcome... Uh, people who work in the tree care industry or the green industry to bring their clients that might help explain to their clients what types of things they might be doing to help trees in their yard or bring in new employees that may benefit from walking this exhibit and learning something about trees. So heads up to landscapers and and Mm -hmm. arborists and things. Yeah, we want to support those professionals and we hope that they can come and utilize this. Well, it's been fun learning about the Gateway to Tree Science and fun being at the Morton Arboretum all this week. Thanks for having us, Nicole. This has been so much fun. Thank you for coming. I'm so glad the weather was good. And hasn't it been fun forest bathing and seeing science and seeing all these kids walking through? It it can improve broadcasting to be out with the trees. (laughs) I love it. We've learned that. Thanks very much. Dr. Nicole Cavender is Vice President of Science and Conservation here at the Morton Arboretum. And Julie Janoski is the Plant Clinic Manager here at the Morton Arboretum. We have a lot of people to thank who've been helping us out and made this a very enjoyable experience for us. Uh, Thanks to Bridget Bittman and Alicia LeVere. And thanks to Megan McCormick and Maggie Carides who helped us out. And thanks to the facilities and ground crew who were fantastic and uh, really nice to us. Everybody was fantastic. Thanks to the Morton Arboretum. We would love to come back sometime. We'd love to have you. you. Thanks also to Steve Bynum and Julian Haida for producing the program. And thanks to Ashish Valentine and Jenny Friedland, our production assistants. I'm Jerome McDonald. You've been listening to Worldview on WBEZ.